0: Maybe you remember, uh, you know, Daniel-san went and met Mr. Miyagi, and he wanted to learn how to fight, and Mr. Miyagi said, wax my car, right? And then uh, he said, well, I need to learn how to fight, and he said, "Uh, uh, scrub the floor. And then he said, "Uh, I want to learn how to fight, and he said, paint the wall. Uh, or paint the fence or all the all the things and uh well paint the fence and paint the wall and and, and uh he finally got uh, the clip that I wanted you to see was uh he finally got to the place where where uh, Danielson uh just comes and says what's the deal I I've been doing all this stuff doing all your chores for you I I want to learn how to uh how to uh stand up for myself and Mr. Miyagi then shows him that all the things he's been teaching him and the motions he's been using have actually been uh, building the muscles and the, the memory and the, and the techniques that he needs to be able to do all the, all the things. And then pretty soon, I mean, he's, you know, doing all the stuff, right? We need that, one of those posts, that we needed that bridge up here already. And I could have, you know, really impressed everybody, right? I think that would have been bad. But, um... Anyway, uh, Mr. Miyagi, I guess, is the is the, I don't know, when I think of mentor, when I think of someone who is, who is influenced, I don't know, these, these movies, uh, uh, you could probably, there's a lot of different, you got, uh, Yoda and Luke Skywalker, I don't know, so many others, where, uh, where, where somebody comes and needs to be mentored, needs to be taught, needs to be influenced by someone who's already maybe further along, and, uh, and, and then using, uh, um, using their influence to help this, this other person succeed, um. Daniel could not have done it in the Karate Kid without being influenced by his mentor, Mr. Miyagi. And and so today I just have a question for you. Who are you influencing and who or what is influencing you? Over the over the past month or so, we've been studying uh, several passages in First and Second Chronicles. So, right in the middle of the Old Testament, uh, the, the the priest and leader Ezra uh, wrote this history of uh, to the Israelite people that were returning from exile and starting over in this new land, or in this land that their families had come from. Now they're starting over, and so he's recording these true stories of their history uh, in order to not just tell their history, but to teach them uh, lessons that they can learn. Uh, and in how to start over well how how to allow god to, uh, to to bring new life to them after they've been in exile and and so uh, as they learned those lessons then we've been learning some of those lessons here too right and if you've missed any you can you can go on the uh, uh, the, the church website Medina nas. life and and uh, get the video version or the, the podcast version or whatever and and I'd encourage you to do that if uh, if you've missed any of those. Last week, I told you, uh, about Ezra's account of Jehoshaphat. One of, you know, arguably one of the best names in the Bible. Uh, Jehoshaphat. And, and I told you that, that his story, uh, about, uh, this king Jehoshaphat spanned two wars and a bad marriage and that we'd get to the bad marriage this week. So here we go. But it's not his marriage. Jehoshaphat didn't have a bad marriage. It was his son, Jehoram. Uh, Second Chronicles 18.1 says this, Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and he made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. So at some point in his reign, Jehoshaphat made what seemed to be a great political move to secure an alliance with his greatest threat, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and it was common then uh, to seal alliances between countries by marrying the children of the leaders, right? And so so you're married to, uh, your son's married to my daughter, maybe we won't fight you anymore. And so so that, uh, that was kind of a common thing. And, and in this case, Jehoshaphat, matched up his son Jehoram to the king of Israel's daughter, Athaliah. Okay, sounds great, sounds fine, whatever. Uh, that move it didn't affect Jehoshaphat and, and his reign very much, but it, it certainly affected his son Jehoram, and it had ripple effects for generations to come. We're going to look at those effects today. See, Athaliah was the daughter of two of the most wicked people in the Old Testament ahab and jezebel and jehoshaphat had no business aligning himself with them at all and and so here's here's a quick description of ahab and jezebel if those if those names don't don't ring a bell uh first kings chapter 16 verses 30 to 33 describes uh, ahab this way ahab son of omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. I mean, this guy's no joke, right? And his wife kept up with him. Uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel outwardly turned their backs on God. They defied him. They worshiped the fertility god Baal. Uh, and and man, it's just, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of God than anybody had before that. I mean, come on. And Jehoshaphat didn't just make friends with him. He made his son marry their daughter, connected their family, uh, his family intimately to them, and opened himself and his country to that evil influence. You have to be careful who or what you allow to influence you. I I want us to walk through real quick. I I think I can can do this. We could read the next seven chapters together and then just pray and go home. Or I can just try to tell you the the, the high or the, the low lights, I guess of of uh, of what happened as a result of Jehoshaphat's poor decision in marrying his his son to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. First, you need to know that God had promised King David uh so many generations prior had promised king david that that his descendants would remain on the throne and and through his family the messiah was going to come 150 years later jehoshaphat is uh was was part of that family line he's king uh we saw last week he was a, he was a, a a great king he um he led the people god worked in miraculous ways through him as he prayed the prayer i don't we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you we uh jehoshaphat's doing doing good stuff and so Jehoshaphat is in that family line, and still David, David's descendants are on the throne. But, but when Jehoshaphat died, then, then his son Jehoram became king, which meant that his daughter-in-law, Athaliah, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, became queen. And we see in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, Jehoshaphat's dead, Jehoram takes the throne, and, and his first act as king is to do what no Israelite king had done prior to that, but what most pagan kings uh, usually did. He killed all of his brothers so that no one would challenge him and challenge his reign and challenge his rule. He, he killed his brothers off so they couldn't come after him. So now suddenly we're with this descendants of David right we got and Jehoshaphat and his son Jehoram and his brothers here but now his brothers are gone so it's just Jehoram is is left he's he's this the one direct descendant uh, uh from from David Jehoram's a wicked king he only reigned 8 years but in those years, the country was attacked, and, and, and Jehoram had, had a lot of sons that he could pass the, uh, uh, the, the baton off to uh, after his reign. But, but uh, his country was attacked uh, in his reign, and all of his sons were killed, except for the youngest, Ahaziah. We'll get to him in a, in a few minutes. Again, God's promise to David, uh, your, uh, your blood descendants will remain on the throne. And even more than that, more important than that, the Messiah is going to come through your, uh, your family line. Well, man, we don't, uh, we don't have time for all the crazy weird stuff that, uh, that, that this story uh, tells about. There's curses and a bowel disease. Uh, I mean, long story short, Jehoram dies uh, Ezra wrote mockingly in Second 2 Chronicles twenty one twenty about Jehoram when he died he, he said this he died to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David but not in the tombs of the kings so nobody liked the wicked king Jehoram he, he didn't even merit a kingly tomb he died of a bowel disease look it up just we're, we won't go there I guess we kind of did but why, we won't go into the details and, and he died didn't get buried with the kings. Be that as as it may, ultimately, because of Jehoshaphat's poor choice in marrying Jehoram to to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, uh, he subjected the family line to the influence of sin, and so now the monarchy of David's line and the promise of the Messiah are hanging by a thread. All hopes are pinned on Jehoram's youngest son, the only son who survived, Ahaziah. It says that Ahaziah was wicked, just like his father. So we don't have a whole lot of hope there. Uh, he was killed within the first year of his reign. Ahaziah did have a few sons and nephews, but they were all uh, all young, like in the nursery young when, when he died, because he only reigned for a, a little bit of time. And, uh, and, and so in, in, instead of one of his sons becoming king, because they couldn't, because they were so small, uh, who takes charge? Athaliah. Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, the wicked, is now the wicked queen. Je- Jehoshaphat married his son to uh, the, the, the w- wicked family line of Ahab and Jezebel, and Athaliah uh, takes over. She's not from David's family line. She's not even Jewish. Uh, she she worshipped Baal, and, and now she's in charge of all Judah. And, I mean, I'm just saying, she's not a nice person, okay? Uh, when, uh, chapter 22, verse 10 in 2 Chronicles, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, Saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole family, whole royal family of the house of Judah. So Athaliah uh, uh, knew that she needed to take out all of David's bloodline, and if she did, God's promises would not prevail. Uh, the the evil one using uh, the evil family of Ahab and Jezebel, and now their daughter Athaliah, uh, fighting literally fighting against the the promises of God that the Messiah would come through David's line. I can't stress enough uh, the the truth that your influences matter. Jehoshaphat's careless political choice led to a very precarious situation here. He opened his life and his family up to sinful, sinful influences that caused so much destruction. Who or what are you allowing to influence you? I, the people you hang out with, the people you listen to, the shows or the movies that you watch, the the news channels you turn into, uh, tune into, the uh, the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to, I don't know the YouTubers you follow, uh, the the social media that you scroll. Through. Who or what are you allowing to influence you? I mean, you can you can say that you love Jesus and you're following Him, but if you're living your life surrounded by sinful influences, you won't be following Him very closely. Who or what are you allowing to influence you? Jehoshaphat's alliance with sinful people led the country into grave danger. Athaliah took charge. She's literally killing her own grandchildren, right? She ruled for over six years. But then we have a righteous couple. I'd, I'd call them uh, superheroes. Probably unsung. You've probably never heard these names. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been reading Second Chronicles uh, uh, cover to cover and, and you know who these people are. But, but they literally changed the course of history. Second Chronicles 22, verses 11 and 12. So Athaliah is killing all of the, uh, uh, the, the, the royal family, the kids in the nursery. But Jehoshaphat. The daughter of King Jehoram took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athalia ruled the land. I mean, it's dramatic stuff. We could have we could have movies. We could have you know we should should have pop popcorn this morning just to just to dive into all this. The, the evil queen is killing the the babies in the royal nursery. Jehoshaphat, Athalia, literally Athalia, the evil queen's daughter. Uh, the the king who died. Uh, it's it's uh, she. Uh, is Jehoiada, uh, Jehoiada, the priest's wife, uh, uh, the the evil queen's daughter. Uh, she's able to hide one of them. The, uh, the one year old Joash, just one year old. Uh, Je- Jehoiada and and Jehoshaba uh, raised uh, Joash inside the temple until he was seven. I guess they figured the evil queen wasn't going to go very close to the temple so he could hide there, I guess they were right. Uh, they saved the bloodline of David. Uh, Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada restored the hope of the Messiah to come through David's royal line. Uh, they, they didn't even let an evil, murderous queen dissuade them from following God. They didn't allow her to influence them. Well, there's a, there's a long story there in, uh, in chapter 23 of of how Jehoiada overcame the evil queen and, and put seven year Joash, seven year old Joash, on the throne. So he's one when they hide him. Uh, she reigns for six years. When he's seven, uh, Jehoiada, the priest, finally says, "Well, I guess we can. Uh, we we got to get uh, end this, and we can at least put this seven year old uh, kid on the throne uh, to show that, that we're not going to stand for this evil anymore. They they stopped the cycle of wickedness that had corrupted the monarchy. Joash." Joash did some great things as king. He grew up uh, under the influence of, uh, of Jehoiada the priest. And, uh, but there, uh, his story is a story of influences and allowing things into his life too. There's an interesting verse in 2 Chronicles 24 verse 2. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's great. We wish there was a period right there, but he goes on. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. I, I mean, that's great. Joash, uh, it was influenced by the righteous priest who had raised him. And, and, and I mean, uh, Jehoiada was Joash's Mr. Miyagi. Uh, this, this is, uh, you know, he's he's uh, telling him, uh, paint the fence, uh, wax the car. Uh, you just do all these things, it's going to turn out well. And, and, and Joash did all those things. But once Jehoiada died, at the ripe old age of 130, I might add, uh, Jehoiada died, and, and Joash then didn't continue to follow God after that. Chapter 24 there lines out all of the ways that he faltered as he listened to other worldly influences who came and, and uh, advised him in ways that, that, uh, that he shouldn't do, and, and yet he did. And, and he ended his reign and his life badly. After all the dramatic events of his life, uh, I mean, you'd kind of expect him to stand tall. And, I'm sure they told the story of the evil queen, and how he was rescued away from that nursery at the age of one and, and, and was raised. The, I'm, I'm sure that he knew his history, and, and, and Jehoiada showed him and, and helped him uh, live a righteous life and, and lead uh, well. But as soon as Jehoiada died, Joash followed other influences. He wasn't even buried with the kings. It says, uh, it says Jehoiada. Jehoiada was buried with the kings and he wasn't even a king. Uh, everybody knew that it was Jehoiada, uh, running the show. And as soon as, as soon as, uh, Joash was on his own, he allowed the evil influences around him to guide him away from God. Have I mentioned? Maybe I've mentioned this. Tell me if I've mentioned this. It's important to be careful who or what you allow to influence you. You will not be obedient to God and follow him closely if you are allowing yourself to be influenced by sin. You will not be obedient to God and follow him closely if you are not allowing yourself if you are allowing yourself to be influenced by sin it's it's not just stopping the negative influences either uh, who or what in your life is is speaking spiritual truth to you uh, what are the positive influences in your life are you spending time in god's word every day are you are you reading uh, uh, devotional books and other resources designed to enrich your walk with christ I, I, I don't know I, I've gotten in the habit I, I love reading biographies of, of godly uh, people who have lived in the past and how they have navigated life and it, it's not always uh, a bed of roses and yet yet we can learn so much from looking at the lives of, uh, of people and I just started uh, last week uh, a biography uh, all about Eugene Peterson who just passed away uh, and uh, he was the one who wrote the message bible among many other things and uh, just I mean, he's, he's still in seminary at this point I'll tell you more how it all turns out but uh, uh, it's it's just, uh, you can be influenced by people that you've never met, right? Uh, if, if, you're, if you're reading, you're listening, you're, you're uh, diving into these things, intentionally finding these influences, you're listening to the things that, uh, I mean, no matter, no matter what it looks like for you, it's important to make sure that there are godly influences in your life, that you're seeking out godly influences. Uh, that's important for, for strengthening and growing your own spiritual life. It's also important because you and I have influence on the people around us. So, not only who or what is influencing you, but who are you intentionally influencing? Are you using your influence for, you're having an influence. A lot of times it's unintentional because we're, we're, uh, it just kind of happens. Are you intentionally using your influence for good? Everybody has a sphere of influence. I guess I like that 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 phrase. Uh, a circle of of people. I mean, for the Old Testament kings, they literally had millions of people that uh, that that they could influence uh, by the policies and procedures that they put in place. Uh, but for most of us, it's probably not millions of people. I don't know. Maybe you're that YouTuber. Maybe you're TikTok famous. I don't know what that is. Maybe maybe I don't know. Probably you have a few family members, friends co-workers, I don't know, a few friends on social media. Uh, but you have unique relationships with these people that, that nobody else has exactly your relationship with each one of these people in your life. And, and uh, through those relationships that you have, you have the ability to influence them. After the, the, the drama and the ramifications of Jehoshaphat's decision to align himself with evil... And the near disaster of David's bloodline almost being wiped out, Ezra continued to recount the stories of, of of more kings of the of the southern kingdom, and he continued on through Second Chronicles. And I would expect, or I would hope, anyway, that these kings would would be of, of better character. They'd use their power and influence for God. Uh, they they would have learned the lessons of the past of their fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers and. It actually, if, if we had the time and we read through uh, the next few chapters of Second Chronicles, you'd see that it's kind of underwhelming. The next few kings that Ezra tells about are, are pretty mediocre. I mean, they weren't awful, but they weren't awesome. Uh, they, they, they had all the power and influence, but they didn't use that power and influence to change anything or to change much. Combined, they reigned in Judah almost a 100 years. The next three kings, almost 100 years, but they didn't really do much to sway the people toward God. The next one uh, was Amaziah. After Joash, it was Amaziah. Second uh, Chronicles 25, verses 1 and 2. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoadan. Uh, she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. So Amaziah did some good things. He ended up, however, making some poor choices, uh, uh, especially in one battle that Ezra tells about. And ultimately, he he turned away from God. He, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. His son was Uzziah. 2 uh, Chronicles 26 tells about Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was uh, Jecolia. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. Which was how? Not wholeheartedly. Uh Uzziah did some good things. Uh, if we read that story, we'd see that he had, had some anger issues. He got ticked off at God and at the priests uh and uh and and God struck him with leprosy and he died that way, kind of mad at God, suffering with leprosy. His son Jotham actually took over while he was still alive because of the leprosy, Second Chronicles 27, tells about Jotham. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. Not wholeheartedly, right? But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The, the, the people, however, continued their corrupt practices. So he, he followed God, but not completely just like his father, just like his grandfather, and and he didn't change the people's wicked ways. It was okay with it. He didn't do anything to influence them, and they continued in their evil practices. These guys were, uh, they had the throne, they had all the potential to lead people toward God, uh, but they were never really all in, and consequently, they never influenced the nation back to God. The phrase that Ezra uses for Amaziah can be said for all of them because they were all serving just like their their uh, predecessor had. They served God, but not wholeheartedly. Kind of kind of reminds me of a of a a letter uh, of a guy who wrote to his girlfriend. He wrote this, sweetheart. If the world, uh, if this world was as hot as the Sahara Desert, I would crawl on my knees through the burning sand to come to you. If the world uh, was like the Atlantic Ocean, I would swim through shark-infested waters to come to you. I would fight the fiercest dragon to be by your side. And then he ended the letter this way, I will see you on Thursday if it does not rain. Not really wholehearted devotion, right? The definition of the the, the Greek word used here, or the, the, the Hebrew word used here for wholehearted means completely and sincerely devoted. Determined, enthusiastic, complete and earnest commitment, free from reserve or hesitation. That is what God wants from all of us, complete devotion, enthusiastic commitment to him, wholeheartedly serving him. But I don't know, we we, we see a lot of half-heartedness around us, though. The co-worker who's doing just enough to squeak by, the C student who could well be an A student... The person who says he's trying to lose weight but sneaks sweets all the time. We, we, we call those folks half-hearted, right? They're, they're kind of leaning towards something, but yeah, they waffle a lot and they're not really all in. It's, it's pretty clear, though, on the other side, it's, it's pretty clear to us when someone is all in, right? When, when, when someone is, is doing something wholeheartedly all of their physical and mental and emotional effort is focused and and they're pushing toward this accomplishing these things. Uh their the uh, distractions are pushed aside, focus is tightened. Uh other things don't matter, I'm focused on this, right? Uh people are wholeheartedly committed to a lot of things today. Like football, right? Or other sports. Cooking, I mean there's foodies, they are wholeheartedly committed, right? Some people are wholeheartedly committed to the lake every summer, right? Uh, maybe you're wholeheartedly committed to youth sports. Or to your job, or to learning more, or uh, or to fitness. I I don't know. People are wholeheartedly uh, give their devotion to their spouse, or their kids, or their house, or their yard. I'm not saying that's uh, awful. I'm just saying that it's obvious when it happens, right? Because that person is is always talking about that a lot, and uh, they're doing it all the time. I can't get a hold of so and so because because they're doing this, what they always do, right? And 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 a lot of times they try to get the people around them to do it too. They they use their in to help others catch the excitement for the thing that they've given their heart to. I don't know, let's let's pretend for a minute that someone is writing a summary of your life. Not a biography, not a big old book, but maybe just like a few paragraphs like Ezra did about these kings in Chronicles. And, And they're writing this summary about your life, describing who you are, maybe what you've accomplished, what you're characterized by. I don't know. What would it say? Could it, could it honestly be written? Fill in your name. He or she, you did what was right in the eyes of the Lord wholeheartedly. Or maybe you fill something else in there. They, they did blank wholeheartedly. Or, I mean, maybe they, they, they were completely devoted to stamp collecting. I don't know. What, fill in whatever it is. Completely, uh, completely devoted. Their, their life was made up of watching the Indians on TV. I, I hope, I hope that your sum, the summary of your life doesn't conclude with uh, he or she passed away to no one's regret. Right? We don't, we don't want that uh, to be be in that. If if someone was writing to summarize your life, could they honestly write? That they that you did what was right in the eyes of the Lord wholeheartedly. I I think I think that what could be written in those paragraphs to summarize your life will have a lot to do with who or what you allow you are allowing to influence you and who you are influencing. A wholehearted commitment to God changes what you allow to influence your life. And it dramatically affects how you influence others. If you are wholeheartedly uh, committed to God, we think about uh, uh, Jehoiada and his wife. And uh, they, they were right there just like everybody else and that evil queen and all this stuff. But but they didn't allow her to influence them. They were focused on God and what he wanted and they saved the monarchy. Then Then their influence spilled over into the lives around them, specifically the king who's ruling. A wholehearted commitment to God changes what you allow to influence your life and it dramatically affects how you influence others. You'll be you'll be so careful about what or who you allow close uh, who you allow to speak into your life and you'll be quick to seek out ways to influence others toward God and toward the good things of life. The, the, the stories of of these Old Testament kings, and I hope you followed it today. It's kind of crazy, and kind of—I don't know. I guess we could use the term "hot mess" probably in there. It's a lot of a lot of stuff going on, but I—I th- I think I think it's true to the text. i, I think what Ezra is teaching us is to keep asking that question: Who am I influencing, and who or what is influencing?